let's talk about now the real touchy part, in the middle. So most companies that I see, what they've done is when they buy a smaller company, they leave that whole management team in place and they kind of create it as a division. Now that you have the field consistent, headquarters is kind of getting the information they need. What do you do with that middle piece? It feels a little heavy to me. What are your thoughts there? Well, you've got to look at the talent equation and think, figure okay. out, all right, number one, can I repurpose these people in the new company, right? Are there gaps that you ha had it from a corporate level that you can fill? So and, you might promote some of these folks. Well, you might, you might find out the guy who um, was the um, CFO for the company you bought, he'd make a darn good treasurer for the corporation. This is Peter Purcell. And Bill Imany here. We're here for another podcast, and welcome. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I think today what we'd like to do is talk to you a little bit about merger integration and oil field services. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's um, an interesting um, time right now where there are a lot of uh, oil and gas services companies that are looking to acquire other ones. We've, we're, we've gone through this downturn, and now oil prices are steadily creeping back up and a lot of companies are looking at acquiring each other and then also going public and uh, these acquisitions are getting kind of interesting. Yeah they are Bill. I mean there seems to be a number of philosophies out there in terms of integrating these acquisitions and uh, so I don't know ma'am why don't why don't we talk about that? Does that sound like an interesting topic? Well I'll tell you it's we watch these acquisitions happen, and we've seen some of the, I'll call it, larger oil field service companies, the Weatherfords, the Halliburtons, grow over the years, and a lot of them grew by acquisition. And if you look at them, a lot of folks look at them as an example, but in some cases, they don't realize some of the uh, struggles they went through to get to where they're at and the amount of money they had to spend to get to where they're at and where where are some of the lessons learned and mistakes they might have made along the way and how oil field services companies that are competing with them and maybe niche players in in certain markets how they can effectively grow without spending a lot of money trying to get there well bill isn't it just as simple mm -hmm. as you go out you buy a company you create it as a separate division slam in a bunch of expensive systems and you're done right well you know it you, you can do it that way but Where's the value of doing that? What's the point of buying another company and just making it a subsidiary with a different logo and all that? And and by the way, that's what uh, companies like Weatherford did over the years, and uh, they've been they've had to struggle to get overcome that. And I've talked to a, a sales rep at uh, a couple of years ago at Weatherford where he said, "You know, I'm out there selling what I sell, and then there's another rep who works for my company selling to the same company man." And they get kind of confused, and they wonder who should they be buying from. And they're looking for, for lack of a better word, synergies. And how do you get the synergies, right? Yeah, absolutely. I guess what I'd like to do maybe is, uh, you know, we have, we have a number of clients that have asked us to, to help them out through this process. Uh, you know, they've, they've kind of set a good vision. You know, they want, you know, one brand, one company. And, uh, you know, maybe we should talk through some, some lessons learned there. What do you think? Well, I agree. And, and I think the big lesson learned that we see with these oil field service companies is how are they attacking 
the integration of companies, be it a bigger company buying a smaller one or a merger of two equals, in either case, it all starts with the field. Right, right. I mean, so what I see is a lot of Wolfville Services companies out there are taking a top-down approach. And I think what you're alluding to is maybe there is a hair of top-down, which is setting guiding principles and kind of vision, you know, is it bolt on, bolt off, one brand, one company. But the real trick is starting at the field. So how, how do you do that? Well, for the first thing is you've got to look, look at an oil field service company. There's really two things they have. They have people and they have assets. Right. And right. So, you, you, so you can take those two things and start at the field and say, okay, how can we standardize what we do with our people and what we do with our assets? So let's talk about assets first. And a lot of companies that merge together – They've got their list of their assets and how they classify them and what they are and the information they have about them. And they might have assets sitting out there in the field that nobody knows about, or they might have assets that, um, they, that are in a different location than they, where they should be. And that, a lot of that comes down to process and that business process of how are they maintaining the assets, what's their asset philosophy, and if you merge two companies together and they're using similar assets, are they sharing them or not? And how do they? How do you facilitate that? Right. Well, actually, what's kind of funny is um, what I notice is even going through that exercise, just learning what to call an asset is a tong a tong. I mean, I, I know it sounds silly, but you know when you start thinking about workover rigs, you know how how do you classify them? Is it by mast height? Is it by horsepower, you know, and, and you call things the same thing. So if I have a, 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 uh, um, a, a well hand and I'm moving the well hand between these divisions, they need to know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm using a tongue, this is what I mean. Right. Right. So it's it's uh, it's called defining your assets and having a good asset register and right. putting some consistency there. So if you're uh, an oil field service company trying to merge two companies together, the very first thing you want to do is have some consistency of your asset databases. So it might mean going out to the field and understanding what you have out there, bringing in bringing in people from the different divisions around the field and coming up with a consensus around. What do we call a tong? What are we calling? Um, how are we classifying our rigs? And what data are we storing about our, our rigs? So be it horsepower or, or, or what? Or BOP size, right? BOP pressure size. Who knows, right? Yeah, I it, mean, it, yeah. But so it sounds like, you know, one of the first exercises is more than just a wall-to-wall inventory of what do I have and where is it? It's what do I call it and how am I going to use it? How am I going to maintain it? and all the processes around that. So that sounds right. like one big thing that you Well, do. yeah, and talking about maintaining it, what's your maintenance philosophy, right? right. Is, um, are you, are you going to be proactive or not? Sometimes you have some companies who've set up a, 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 main, a bad habits in maintenance when they hand over a rig from, to, from one crew to the next. Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done because the first crew didn't uh, maintain things properly. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the old famous philosophy of, you know, I'm not going to fix it till it breaks kind of thing. Right. So getting some consistency around that because really what you're talking about is delivering to a customer base, to the to your your customers in a consistent manner. So if you have a consistent asset philosophy, a consistent asset naming convention, then all of a sudden when it comes time to integrate the companies together and produce a integrated 
invoice to your customer, you have that consistency at the base level, right? Absolutely. And I would assume that, you know, as we'll jump into field tickets, I think, here in a second, because that, that's, that's, you know, they're on field tickets. But that helps when you start thinking about company man approvals and then going through most of Oilfield Services clients have centralized payables, right? So when you're going through centralized payables, you need standards. You need standard terminology so that, you know, you can, you can collect your monies faster, right? They'll pay it faster uh, because there's, there's no errors. Well, also think about this. You're creating a purchase order, and I've got a centralized purchasing organization that's creating purchase orders for two different companies, and I've got two different names of assets, Right. And what am I calling it? What am I buying? And how am I right. pulling that into inventory? So um, the, the problem we see and what a lot of companies are doing when they go through this integration process is they're taking this top-down approach of, well, let's create a standard procurement policy. <coughs> at the, and at the end of the day, um, it's, the standard policy doesn't get them anywhere until they fix the stuff in the field. So what we're advocating is a bottoms-up approach to integrating the company start with the field uh, as much as you it, it sounds the easy part frankly is the corporate part because you get the field right. stuff consistent the corporate piece the re- financial reporting the uh, procurement the performance management that all fall into place but it's a it's the simple field tactical of getting your assets um, aligned between the companies but then the second thing we want to talk about is the people piece of it. And we're not talking about the soft, fuzzy stuff, but we're talking about how people are putting time in. And Peter, you've had some recent experience with that, and maybe kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so so assets are easy, actually, in, in the big picture of things. People are hard. Um, and to me, what it starts with, and, and what I've seen very effectively uh, done, is you've got to start with making sure that you're calling the same role the same thing across the company. Then it boils up to making sure that people are that people's time, believe it or not, are properly tracked and that they're properly paid. Um, you know, a classic uh, symptom of of a bad integration job is multiple pay multiple out of time payroll runs, right? Um, so if you end up running payroll, twice a month, but then you have four out-of-cycle payroll runs, you, you've got a problem. You've got a people problem. Well, so you got to work on on getting getting those processes standardized. Right. So you think about time capture. It all mm-hmm. starts with that time capture piece. And what, what information are they putting in their timesheets? And, and, and then how is that being integrated with the field ticketing process? And, and that's, that's the ultimate thing, right, is how do you get that right? And, right. And, and actually, the, the irony is, you know, as we start talking about time capture to, to pay, uh, people can run through a gazillion different scenarios in their head. And really what we found is there's only two. <laughs> you know, there's the time clock that, that you do uh, when you're in the yard and you only are in the yard, whether you're back office or whether you're maintenance or, or you know, you actually go to the yard for non-productive time. Um, Basically when you're not on cli- working when, when on When you're your not customer. on the well, right? right? When you're not on the well. Or if you're a truck driver and you're doing saltwater hauling, yeah, you know, you could probably use time clock because you clock in when you get to the yard and you clock out, you know, after you've backed your truck in, you know, backed your truck and trailer 
uh, into 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 its slot for the night or in the maintenance bay or hand it over to the next driver. So that's the first one. Yeah, right. So you're talking about your total time you worked, right? Total time. So you have the total time, but then you have time that you're billing your client and your customer, right? And so what are some uh, th- things that you've run into in the past? And I know you mentioned some of that stuff the other day, right? Right, right. So I, I guess what you and I were talking over lunch, of course, is, is the religious argument about where do you do time capture when you are going to the wellhead, right? And you have to account for travel time. You actually have to account for per diem, which I know is not time, but it's still expense that sometimes you bill and sometimes you don't. And then there's the billable time. And what we, what I believe is you need to do it at the wellhead and go ahead and let the, um, you know, let the folks at the wellhead capture it on your field ticket, make sure your field ticket has the ability to, to track all that time because company men are going to want to see, yep, you know, I'm not being billed for non-productive time or, yeah, you have two, two hours of travel time, but I know I'm not paying for it, but it's accounted for, so it's on my ticket and it's non-billable so time. So really what you're saying is um, you've, you, you, your timesheet is your field ticket. It's, that is correct. And, the and, field ticket doubles not only as for what you did on, on site, what equipment you used, but what people you used and what people time you used. Right. So basically what you're doing is you're forcing the timekeeping process to be consistent with your field ticketing process. And if you do that, then you, you, you don't have this, I'll call it extra handoff between time sheet and field ticketing where somebody keys in the wrong, wrong code or the wrong um, you know, category or just miskeys something. Right. And then, and then what, 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 essentially what you're getting at is I've got my total time, which I clocked in, clocked out, mm-hmm. and then I've, which is a time clock typically with sitting mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, yard or in the trailer or, and then, and then a layered on top of that, I've got the detail of my time that I put on the field ticket of what I've done. And the difference between that is essentially time in the yard. Yeah, that is correct. And, and you do have some people like cementing jobs where you can do that with the, the time clock where you capture total time and then what you do at the wellhead. But you do have the challenge of crews that never go to the yard. They just go from wellhead to wellhead. And that's where the whole timekeeping at, at the field ticket level becomes really, really critical. Oh, but what do you do? What do, what do you do about their non-productive time, though? You, don't you put capture that on the, it on. You capture it on the field ticket the, as well, but, because. But you, you don't want the company man seeing that, though. Oh yeah, you do. You do because the company man wants to make sure that you're not trying to sneak non-productive time onto a field ticket. Okay, so, so you're including see, everything on there. That, absolutely, okay. including travel time, which is oftentimes not billable it's not billable and they see what you didn't bill them and maybe they appreciate what you're doing exactly exactly there and again this is why it almost ends up being a religious argument is well i don't want the company man to see what's non-productive well actually you're helping yourself when a company man knows what they are and are not paying for yeah that's a good point so let's we talk about time here we talk about the field ticket and that almost becomes another, I, I hate to use the word religious argument, is what the format of the field ticket, uh, what's on it. And so a number of years ago, we had a client that said, told us they want to automate their field ticketing process. And what they uh, just thought they would do is they said, well, we're going to put a new tool in. 
and right. and put it on a put it on their uh, you know, handhelds and and that kind of thing. But when we we were out in the field talking to people, we found out that they had 38 different versions of of field tickets out there across their company. Right, and 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 guys, just just to clarify, 38 field t- different field tickets formats for, formats for doing exactly the same job. Right, but they had a box at the top and the bottom, and you know, and 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 I, I looked at the client. And I said, "Look, before we put technology in, we need to get this all consistent." Right. And and the client was thinking, "Well, if we put technology, that'll force them to do it." And no. I said, "No, you, what's going to happen is, and I've seen this too, is I've gone out to client uh, clients where they they still use the old field ticket, and then they have you know Judy in the office." key it into the field ticketing system, which is tremendously inefficient because well, and, errors and happen. error prone. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, you know, Judy's good, but she's tired, man. She, and this, this is a boring job, you know. Well, and she yeah. didn't hire on to be a, a keystroke artist. Right, you know? and, you're, and you're spending money on right. that, and that's just right. uh, useless. So um, what we, what we told the client, look, get everybody in the, uh, the room. I don't mean everybody, but get representatives from each area in the room, and let's design a common field ticket that everybody's going to be happy with. And our and by the way, our um, their company man, the customer, their customers will be happy with, and use that as a I'll call it a way to integrate the companies together. So let's say at, at at a minimum, the two companies that you merge together have two different field ticket formats. Well, let's get those common. Okay? Right. If you haven't gotten them common in your company already, get those um, standardized too. But don't start thinking about technology until you get the process right right and if i remember correctly bill just to to kind of finish that story um the exercise was a lot of fun trying to get these 38 into into one which we did uh and then remember it was kind of well remember it was two steps it was 38 to 12 right and then i forgot about that and then finally then the executives and operations management to step in and say let's get it down to one and, right. and they finally got there, but it, well, and they used they used the excuse of they had floated these by their largest clients, and all the clients said they liked one particular format. Remember? Yeah. So well, yeah. Uh, so they put them by EMP companies, but anyway, nonetheless, they got it down to one. And what was interesting is that we were able to create an Excel. Remember, we created an Excel template to model it. And they used that for a number of years before they actually put in a, I think it was a $10 million, if I'm not mistaken, uh, field ticketing system. Well, that, that, that was a, a huge expense on their part, and that was yeah, a pretty was. big company. But yeah. it, it, the, the fact of the matter is they were, they were doing just fine on Excel, right. and that's something to, to um, start off with. And, and we always believe, and we tell our clients this, and for lack of a better, wireframe it out. And what we mean by that is do it in Excel for a little while. See if you're comfortable with it. And we do this with financial reporting, too. See if you're comfortable with the reports. And then build the system that's right. going to automate everything. And then that's where you can really start saving money and getting more efficient. But get, make it effective right, okay? And we mean by effective, make it work right. Then you can make it efficient later. Right. And then there's the whole consistency factor that layers over the top of that, too. Because you know, it, when, when, you, when you get it effective, you get one field ticket, and you get a standard process, it's very easy then for you to find out what breaks in that process and how you address it. Or if there's a weakness or there's a missing element, you can identify that and address it very quickly. 
Exactly. And I, I think the other piece, though, the field ticket um, uh, problem we also dealt with is we found there were a lot of things that were on the field ticket that the field didn't care about. And it was stuff that corporate wanted. Exactly. So part of that process was to go back to corporate and say, you know, you've asked for 20 things um, to be put on the field ticket, all these codes and everything. Is there a way that we can simplify that? In a lot of cases, you had this instance where field number one um, and field number two were basically the same thing, but accounting wanted it and procurement wanted it, and they wanted the division, and accounting had a different definition of what a division was and procurement did, but it was the same thing. They just called it two different items. One called it field and one called it division. So it's that rationalization of what corporate says they want on that field ticket. And so what these guys did was really push back to corporate and said, okay, tell us what you really need to know. And, And then corporate had to come back and negotiate with them to say, well, why do you need this? And, and of course, there were some things that were regulatory, right? Right, right. And so what you're talking about is this is where the valid or the valid components of a top-down or what the top-down components of an integration really should be, which is really focused more on critical, rationalized performance measures, for lack of a better term, right? Right. Something you're going to use and you're going to do something with right. it. And it right. You do, either you get a performance metric or some piece of data, you're actually going to take action on it and improve something, right. or it, it goes to a regulatory body. Exactly. Any, anything, anything outside else? of that, right. you don't need it. Right. And, and you get so many times, well, it'd be nice to have this, and someday we think we might use it. Bad excuse. Don't do don't, it. Don't, don't fall do in the trap. Right. Accountants love to do it. We might need that someday. And then yeah. if you don't need it today, you probably never will. Right. So, I mean, if you do all of that, it sounds like, you know, you've got your processes in line. You've got uh, standardized terminology across the field. Um, standardizing your field ticketing. So at least to the customer, you look the same, right? You know how to now... Uh, track pay and pay your pay your employees right because employees are critical. I mean, aren't oil field services companies really more like uh, personnel services than? Well, in some cases, they're contractors for the um, operators, and yeah. they're going in. And yes, they have some assets with them, their tools that they bring along with them to actually conduct their job. And you're right. So if you if you kind of look at this from a kind of you know. Bottoms up. At the bottom, you get your asset and people. Right. Rolls up into a field ticket. Right. And then everything from there produces your bill. It allows you to do payroll. It allows the corporation to then get the information they need to actually run the business. So if you get that consistency at the bottom level, the rest is easy. the The hard part is that bottom level getting people lined up. Because here, here, and this is what we see all the time. You got one guy in the division that says, "Well, if we don't." You know, if we don't change, if we change this, my customer is going to leave us. And and the funny thing is, is we we, we go we and we do this all the time. We go back and say, well, you know what? Um, we just worked with one of your competitors, and they have that same customer. Right. And they in this don't other have fi- that field. In, the, in this other field, and they don't do this. Right. So, in a lot of cases, we find out it's something that they told them maybe ten years ago. Right. And it was a real, uh, I'll call it, opinionated company man. That right. wanted something in a certain way, well, that guy's long gone. Right, and you got somebody new there, and he probably doesn't care. Right. So, if we if we have everything in the field consistent, 
right? All of a sudden now you are one company, one brand, one approach. You know, it helps from a quality perspective, probably an H, you know, the whole HS&E side is, is, is in good shape. So let's talk about now the real touchy part, in the middle. So most companies that I see, what they've done is when they buy a smaller company, they leave that whole management team in place and they kind of create it as a division. Now that you have the field consistent, headquarters is kind of getting the information they need. What do you do with that middle piece? It feels a little heavy to me. What are your thoughts there? Well, you've got to look at the talent equation and think, figure okay. out, all right, number one, can I repurpose these people in the new company, right? Are there gaps that you ha- had it from a corporate level that you can fill? So and, you might promote some of these folks. Well, you might, you might find out the guy who um, was the um, CFO for the company you bought, he'd make a darn good treasurer for the corporation. Okay. Okay. Or you might find that the guy who is the division ops guy uh, is, um, he may, maybe he's in his uh, 40s, mm-hmm. and the guy from the, your, your, your legacy company, he's getting ready to retire. He's thinking about retiring in a year or two. And he might be a good succession candidate for them. But, okay. you, but really what you need to do is, frankly, is make sure you have clearly defined roles and responsibilities for these people. Because in a lot of cases, companies tend to leave those guys out in the field. And, and they, um, what ends up happening is they don't have much to do. Okay, And when people don't have much to do, they start to become a distraction, and they start to ask questions and start to ask people questions and become kind of this little fly in the ointment. So whenever there's company get-togethers or company meetings, these guys are the disruptors. And sometimes it's non-productive, and you have to turn around and go, listen, um, Jim, it's time for you to find some place else to go. We've got to rationalize what we're doing here as a company and be smart. I mean, it, it, you know, I hate to say this, but companies don't exist to employ people. They exist to make money. Make money. I, right. Well, sounds I, callous, I was, right? Yeah. I was sitting chuckling, you know, when you were talking, and, and I have visions of, of guys walking around company parties, you know, kind of bad-mouthing policies and procedures or just, you know, asking questions that, that distract senior management. But, I, I, you know, what I've seen that has been the most poisonous, though, uh, I sound like a consultant now, are when the, that Jim, right, if Jim was the old owner or senior management, you know, under the old ownership, if Jim doesn't really completely buy into the acquisition and you're trying to roll out new policies and procedures and you're trying to roll out one brand, one company, Jim may just tell his staff, hey, ignore headquarters. That's the worst, right? I mean, wouldn't you think? Or Well, no, it is. It's, you're right. You see that often where they say, look, we're going to th- keep doing things the way we've been doing it. And, um, and, and, and we see this a lot in oil field services where a, comp- a um, company will buy a, a smaller company and say, hey, uh, pull Jim aside. We're going to keep things the same way. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. We're going to let you run. And if that's the intention, fine. But Typically, over time, as these companies start to look at their and the stockholders say, "Hey, show me the money when you've acquired this company. Show me some synergy, good consulting word, but what are we getting out of this?" And you're not able to show that return. It then you've got to go back, eventually go back to Jim and say, "Look, we've got to we've got to standardize some things to get efficient because you have your own back office. We need to get pull that out, and it becomes a struggle." So, um, the, the the real question is: is the owner of that company that you're buying, 
Is there a place for him in the new organization? Is he someone that is well-connected in in, with the customers? So do you put him in a larger marketing role within the company? And do you build up your account management team? So I've seen several companies, what they've done is taking this talent um, who's very well-connected with their customers and creating, I'll call it a robust marketing organization that's going out and facing off against some of these bigger cust- bigger customers, uh, such as your Exxons and Chevrons, and building account management teams around them and becoming more robust and um, gaining market share that way. And they, they can be used. These guys are valuable. They started a business. They know what the customers are thinking. Right, right. And, you know, you would hate to, to, to lose that talent. So, okay. Um, I, I guess as, as we kind of wrap this conversation it sounds to me like when in oilflow services, the most effective integration techniques are and approaches are bottom up. There still has to be a little bit of top down, right? Right. Where you're setting the vision, what are the metrics you need to run the business? But what's most important is is the bottoms up, which to me is often overlooked. People just they just assume that if I'm going to throw policies and procedures out from headquarters, everybody's going to comply, everybody's going to be standard. That just simply isn't true. That's right. That's right, Peter. And uh, this this was a good good uh, topic for discussion. And um, before we wrap up, I would like to thank our sponsor, Evan, your IT guy. Evan, your IT guy is a platform connecting small businesses to technology professionals all over the country to solve their technology problems quickly and efficiently and in the most cost-effective manner. Uh, Peter, we use Evan, your IT guy, for our company, and we've saved thousands on, on a monthly basis in our IT support costs. Absolutely, absolutely. So for our listeners, if you have any questions, you can definitely contact Bill or me. Simple, first name uh, at Trinity.com. So that's Bill at Trinity.com or Peter at Trinity.com. Thank you all.